Recorded live. On April the 9th, 2015, from Coolidge, Arizona, Book of Revelation. Welcome everyone aboard. We're going to have a good time tonight in the Word. And when we're projecting uh, things that uh, have a degree of speculation in it, you should consider it that way and not feel like you have to uh, embrace everything that we say in the way that we say it, but at least give it some thought and some ideas. Uh, to bring us up to, to speed with where we are, um, last week or two weeks ago tonight, uh, we discussed the woman, and uh, we'll see if you can remember anything about it. Uh, we identified the woman as one of the two sisters, and the two sisters represent what? What does sister number one represent? Anybody remember? I, I, I heard something. I said Samaria. All right, we, and, and of course that's the ten tribes of Israel, the one sister, and the other sister, Jerusalem, Jerusalem and uh, which would be Judah. And Israel, Israel, the ten northern tribes, um, and, and the story that we read you last week from the text talks about Samaria. Uh, that, um, uh, that woman got herself into a whole lot of trouble. And in the description, and he's describing the nation as a whole and using the sister to describe um, the nation of Israel, the nation of the ten tribes of Israel, northern, the northern tribes. And then, uh, so it comes to the point where it says that God divorces her. But then... A few verses in that context say, well, now, but Judah did worse than her sister Israel. But why couldn't God and why didn't God divorce Judah? All right, the Messiah um, was coming through Judah. Therefore, he could not divorce her or he would defeat his purpose. Well, that brings you up to date, and that's why I suggest that the woman represents um, Judah, the nation through whom the Messiah was to come. So let's go to that's um, that's a quick summary, and if you have notes, uh, why um, you can pursue that further. So now we're in lesson number two of part four. Chapter 12, and if you are going by episodes, why it's episode 73. Number one of chapter 12, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, 
And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. I doubt if we get that far this evening. Back to verse 1. The woman, we've already suggested, um, in my opinion, represents uh, uh, Judah, the nation through whom the Messiah was to come. The tribe of Judah, uh, with his headquarters in Jerusalem. Later, of course, after the uh, 722, after the fall of the northern northern, uh, ten tribes, Uh, There were remnants that came down from Israel and joined up with Judah. And the name of Israel, simply meaning the faithful of God, um, became once again the name for Judah as well as those uh, those remnant people. So that's kind of how Israel, uh, Judah, ends up being uh, called Israel again. <clears throat> but the original Israel were the ten tribes, and they fell and were destroyed. God divorced them. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 37 and see if we can identify. We've been here before, but let's see if we can identify the sun, the moon, and the twelve stars that um, are the clothes represent the clothing of this woman. How do we identify her? And I think this verse, this passage of scripture is uh, quite clear. Verse 9, um, <clears throat> you know, we have Jacob and we have Joseph, and Joseph is having a dream. Uh, that's earlier in the chapter, but we're going to plug into verse 9. He still had he had still another dream and related it to his brothers. And um, lo, and said, lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars. Now the reason there's twelve in our Revelation class is because it's including all of them. Here, he's including the 11 besides himself. So that would just be 11. And they were all bowing down to me. He related to his father, and uh, he related it to his father and to his brothers. His father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow uh, bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem, 
Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them, and he will say to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of your flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Well, that's probably further than what we needed to go. But we have the sun, the moon, and the 12 stars, uh, 11 at that time, 12 in our text here, because it includes Joseph. What, um, what are they representing, the sun, moon, and, and the stars, uh, in our Genesis account? All the Israel, every one. Every one of them. The moon, the moon, the stars, I mean the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are all representing the full force of the descendants of Jacob and therefore Israel. You see that? And there we have the, we have the symbols very well clarified. Sun clothed with, I mean this is the history, this is, this is her identity, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown. He's talking about the nation of Judah, and all of this fits because all of this was a part of Judah, of Jacob. This is all of it. <clears throat> so this woman is surrounded by, uh, surrounded with her roots, and her history, which tells us that she didn't come out of nowhere. There is, their history is involved in, in, in this. <clears throat> and she was with child, verse 2. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. The symbolic of birth. And this, I believe that it's referring more literally to the messianic birth here, coming from the nation. It's not referring, it's not here in this case, referring to Mary um, as her natural birth, but it's referring to the nation of which Mary was a part. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And then another sign appeared, in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon. Having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Some of the translations use crown. This is a different word. And we'll explain that a little bit later here. In, in verse 1, the crown, the word Stephanos is used. And this is the word uh, diademata. And it's a different word. It means something different. It's translated diadems. And in some translations, it is translated crowns. Now, let's um, hear... Uh, Dave, Dave, before yeah. you go any further, see, get a pretty good uh, definition within the context of the word 
what heaven is and what earth is. I mean, they're they're used in real heaven was, you know, Jerusalem. That's where you know Israel, all of it. That was their heaven, their their order, and their earth was the way they functioned through it. And but the Greek does say in the heaven. In the heaven. You get right in the word there. You can't, you can't, ch- you can't take heaven and earth out of context anymore. That's right. Good point. So, and and so you're referring to, and his tail swept them away. Yeah. Uh, that. Under the earth, and uh, yeah. all of these signs were appearing in heaven, in the heaven. Yeah. Which is, and why do we have? Um, is that accurate? Do we? Yeah, it is. Uh, in in the heaven. There appeared uh, in the heaven. What does the article suggest to us? A specific aspect or a specific heaven. Not heaven in its broad term or there would have been no article. So they're very specific all the way through. Well, thank you for bringing that up. That's a great point. So in verse three, do we have the same thing in the original there? And there, and and then another sign appeared in in uh, heaven. Is it the heaven again? Yes, it is. Um, <clears throat> in the heaven. So it's the heaven of which he's referring to in the whole scenario here. And we have uh, we have uh, then a great red dragon. And let's pause for a moment there. Uh, how how is the how is the dragon defined in the book of Revelation? Let's go over to chapter uh, twelve, this same chapter, and I think it is. Go to verse nine. Yeah, well, we're not going to stay there. (laughs) But I think right in this chapter, yeah, there it is. And so in verse 9, and the great dragon uh, was thrown down. Isn't this the same dragon that we're faced with here in verse 3? In the vision, the one that appears uh, ready to gobble up the, the, uh, the child? Well, I think it is. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. So we have the dragon defined. And he deceives segments of the world. Those who are uneducated and conservative. I think this one says the whole world, David. Oh, your your translation says the whole world. Yeah, it hasn't been tracksurized yet. Has, <laughs> I love that. All right. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Okay, let's go back now to... Um, Verse 3. So I think we can say the great red dragon uh, is the same dragon that's defined and explained to us in verse 9. 
but is explained as having seven heads and ten horns in verse 3. And those three, uh, those uh, seven heads have seven seven, uh, diadems. Well, first of all, let me define the difference between the word Stephanos in verse 1 that's translated crown. that's That's a crown that's given to a winner. In verse 3, the word diademata is a word for crown or called most often diadem, which means one that has been self added to one's, one has done it on themselves, uh, elevated themselves to that status. Did, did, did that line up with what you were finding? Um, well, that doesn't, you see, that definition doesn't give us any. It gives us what it, what it, just it, local. Through, through binding. Yeah, in various applications, literally or frequently bound them, not tie, wind. Uh, I think we are up. I think we need to go up one notch uh, to get. Um, no, we still haven't got quite there. I thought I saw something there that gave us a, a better clue, but the definition is pretty weak here. Hit. Uh, hit that one again. Twelve thirty-eight. There we go. Um, a diadem uh, from a compound, com- compound a word as bound around the head. But here uh, it's pretty well determined that uh, there was no achievement. It's just a, a self-appointment. And even though people may have helped do it, but uh, there's a there so there is a difference between crown Steph, um, Stephanos and uh, dia de mata. Otherwise, they wouldn't they wouldn't use the same word. They wouldn't use the same word, and I think the first one is on her head was a crown, uh, a victorious crown. This was the crown of victory, and uh, this was a self this was a self approved crown of verse three. First one is uh, detects uh, royalty. That's royalty. Majesty. And the second one is simply uh, the trappings of. It's a symbol, but but not with the weight of the the, the genuine. I think that's a good way of putting it. That's got recorded, isn't it? Um, it, it is self-positioned. And um, okay, now notice that there are seven heads and and the serpent here, the emphasis is going to be on this dragon's parts. First of all, he has seven heads. I'm going to suggest to you and cut right to the quick 
that seven heads represent seven systems of thought that may not be related at all because the devil, the dragon, can form a system of belief without any continuity between it and some other system of belief. That's what Satan can do. That's how Satan thinks because, as Jesus said, he's not just a liar, but he is a father of liars. And he's the master deceiver. And he's the destroyer. The head, what's the head? That's, that's what a head does. It thinks, it plans, it strategizes. It can, re, it can represent the, uh, the, the uh, distributors of systems of thought. But how does that vary from the church and Christ Look at Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 4 and verse 15. Just to get a contrast, Satan can devise any kind of system of falsehood he wants and encapsulate it and do the same thing seven times and he, he has no conflict even though there is nothing in agreement. Ephesians 4.15, and we need to go up one verse. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is one of the seven heads. Who is the head. What a contrast between the church, Christ, and Satan. There is just one origin of thinking that the apostles had access to that one origin of thinking. So everything that they said and brought together was in agreement with everything else that had been said that came from that same source. That's not true with what the devil says. Hinduism does not agree with Buddhism. And even though there are many, many similarities between the Islamic religion and Mormonism, uh, there are still areas of disagreements, all of which are systems of Satan. And I hope I was clear enough on how I think about that. And I think that as we go through here, uh, in, in the next chapter or two, we're going to have this dragon defined again, but it's going to be defined a little differently. So I don't know that he's wanting to get the same impression here, give the same impression here that he does later um, in the book. We'll deal with that when we come to it. But for now, I see that this, this dragon has seven systems of thought, and that could include um, the, um, the teaching of Israel to the people of that time, all of the rebellion, all the division, all the breakdown of morals, of uh, even Judaism, as defined in Matthew 23, 
It can, def- it, it can include systems of thought that were brought about by the Roman government. But when the head is used, we need to think in terms of what it is that a head does. That's the origin of thought, planning, strategizing. And there were at least, I mean, I don't know that he's talking here about a literal number or just a complete group of both political and religious systems that were all ready to snatch up this child. That's the, that's the great contrast between truth and error, is that there is one truth, I, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, there is the truth, between truth and error, and there are so many, so many errors and, and wrong thinking about even the same factors and denominational, uh, denominationalism and sectarianism is built on that, as well as all the non-Christian religions, as well as the cults. That's the great contrast between good and evil, that with good there is one good, and with evil there are unlimited forms. Now, not, not only were there seven heads this dragon had, <coughs> And we want, we wonder how how in the world can can some of these things be so clever uh, to bring about long term uh, destruction to the nation of America? It's been planned and it's been working in the because see Satan is a divisor. He's a divisor of schemes, and uh, anyone who is subject to him can become a part and his tool in devising schemes to bring down um, anything that's right. So that's, that's very descriptive here. And ten horns, I think that we look at horns, as, as we've discussed before, as representing superior authority that is exercised through force. Isn't that what you think of when you see a, a horn? Uh, that's, that means that we, we have uh, uh, a force behind us, and that establishes our authority. Don't mess with us. Go back to Daniel. We have it, we have it uh, defined for us in Daniel chapter 7. I don't know. Um, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 24 and as for the ten horns, now we have the ten horns brought, brought up back here in Daniel. Out of the kingdom, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. So how is he defining the horns here in Daniel? By the king. And uh, so the ten horns represented ten kings. And so that, that's a supreme authority, civil authority in this case, but they had force. They could use force. They used force. 
force-driven. And on his heads, that is, they exonerated their own thoughts of being superior to everybody else. They were the elitist. They had everything figured out, and they had the force to carry it out. That was true with Nebuchadnezzar. That was true with Belshazzar. That was true all the way down the line of, um, you know, the four four empires and the ten kings of, of the Roman Empire in later days. <clears throat> so those are things that are just descriptive here. Then in verse 4, <clears throat> any questions so far? So who is the woman in verse 1? I'm, I'm asking you what my thoughts are on that. Okay, okay uh, Judah, uh, Judah specifically, uh, Judah, and which later took re, re, uh, reacquainted themselves with the nation, with the word title of Israel. But Judah, uh, because God had divorced Israel, leaving Judah, and this Messiah came through as predicted and prophesied through um, the nation of Judah. And um, so, and she is surrounded here in verse 1 with, uh, with her roots and her history. Didn't just come out of nowhere. And she was with child. The nation that had been prophesied uh, to bring forth the child uh, was with child, and and the nation is uh, crying out in labor. And go go with me to um, uh, Matthew chapter eleven. <clears throat> we see a little picture of what was going on here in verse two. So what I'm what I want you to understand from what I'm saying here is look at the condition of all of Judah. In this case, now we we're going to refer to it as Israel again. The rebellion, the division, the breakdown of morals all the way through the nation, and expressed here in Matthew eleven twelve from the days of John the Baptist until now, the King of Heaven suffers violence, and the violence men take it by force just describing a terrible, terrible situation and then explain more fully in Matthew 23. And we might just go over there and pick up a few highlights. Matthew 23. And uh, look at verse 13. He calls them, and this is Matthew 23, verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Um, That's not complimentary. You shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves. That goes along with what we were talking about in Matthew 11. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. You can make long prayers. Verse 15 uh, you travel on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. 
Now, those are not good things to be doing, folks. And he goes on, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. He says, you fools and blind men, verse 17, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And in verse 18, and whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? You know, Jesus gets things in the proper perspective, in order. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and everything on it. Uh, So you go down to verse 23. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you tithe, but you neglect the other things. You ought not to leave that undone. Verse 24, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Verse 25, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You know, where else can you go? You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside of it can become clean also. Verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you build the tombs of the prophets. Then he said, folks, bad things are going to happen to you, folks. Bad things. The book of Revelation is the fulfillment of verse 36. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And we're seeing it. So we have the child, that we have the mama, the mother, the nation of Judah particularly. Now we will be referring to her as Israel. She was with child to bring forth the Messiah as having been prophesied as coming through the nation. The, the law was added to the promise for what purpose? Maybe we better review that too before we... I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm reviewing my review now. Go with me to Galatians chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3. verse 19 this is this is the other side of the coin representing the the position that this is representing Judah um, and the the Messiah came through Judah look at Galatians 3.19 why the law then you know why why have a law why it was added it was added folks don't ever forget that word it was added it was added why? Because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator for how long? Un- until is adverbial. It means that it relates to a time frame. Until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. That's the summary of the Old Covenant. Look at verse 24. 
Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified through faith. Verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer a tutor. So if we're still under the tutor, we are denying that faith has come, and we are denying that the Messiah has come through Judah. Now verse 27, and uh, for all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, because now we are the Israel of God, the faithful of God. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Muhammad's descendants. I'm trying to make everybody mad, Alex. All right. You are Abraham's descendants, and the clincher is now the promise has to do with airship. Don't forget that when you go to Acts 2.38. So you are Abraham's descendants, but now... Not only are you Abraham's descendants, but if you baptized into Christ, then you are heirs in agreement with the promise. And there's where salvation settles in. We're all in agreement on that, I think. So that that's... Um, then when this child is about to be born, there is this sign now in the vision, remember, of the great red dragon with all of this eliteness, with all forms of ways of destroying what the Messiah is wanting to do. And it's there to try to destroy the birth. So in verse 4, are we, are we, would you see the idea there so far? I think that's pretty clear. You may not agree on all the little details, but we've got to see the big picture as well. <clears throat> and you'll notice that in the notes under 3, I have another view or two other than what I'm expressing tonight. But my view of the seven heads uh, and what it represents includes both religious and secular, anything that is opposed to the objective of the promise. And that ought to settle it, in my opinion. All right, verse 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven. and threw them to the earth. Now the stars of heaven might refer to whom? Probably the, um, the rulers and the priests of Israel remaining as the progeny to 
you know, the original that we read in, in Genesis 37, that represented the clothing of the woman. But now, now here, we, we have the tail sweeping a third of the stars of heaven, probably the leaders, probably the rulers, uh, and the priest. Uh, they, very likely that's what is included here. And through them, to the earth of which we know what that's referring to, they didn't, he didn't throw them to the dirt. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he, and we need to clarify, we need to make sure that the he there is indeed he. Again, uh, that would be verse um, 4. As soon as it was born, the child of her, for to devour, to be delivered. Let me see here. It was already as soon as it was born. By the way, see that word mellow there? Right there, was ready. means about to be. Remember, we've used that in so many references. Here they've got it right, was ready. It's, where it's referred to in reference to the kingdom and to you know, a lot of things that we've talked about in the past. But here's another example, is they know how to translate the word right. Um, so did we find the he in there? Yeah. As soon as it was born, the dragon is masculine. And I wanted to see before the woman which was ready to be delivered as soon as it was born, the child for to devour. And I don't think they've got the pronoun down there anywhere, do they? Okay. Probably so. So that when she gave birth, uh, might devour her child. Do you remember? We almost need to do a study of the dra- of the dragon, but just a quick summary. And our time is almost gone, folks. But uh, there was in the Garden of Eden. That was not the beginning of sin. That was the beginning of the solution of the sin problem that began in heaven. And it says in Revelation later later here that Christ was slain when? Before the foundation of the earth was laid. Because he was slain in in already in preparation for for his coming of of the things that Satan did against God prior to the creation. The creation was made as a solution to the sin problem that took place in heaven. You have to remember that because if you don't, then you don't understand why why Satan is so anxious to see that the Messiah doesn't go anywhere. 
because he knows what was going on. He was there at creation. He was there. He and God, was. they were there together discussing the facts of Adam and Eve together. Satan was in that group. Read, read Genesis. It's there. And Satan knew what was going to happen. He knew the plan of God. And the way that he could thwart that plan of God was to somehow stop this child from going anywhere. That's why in Genesis 3, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed and thy seed. He shall bruise, you shall bruise his heel, thou shalt bruise, um, crush his head. That's Genesis 3.15. I'm just pulling that from my memory, and then it's, been at least 60 years since I've memorized it. But, Neil, thank you. You got it right. So, you see, right back to the very beginning with Satan in the audience, he says, now, um, through, through this seed, you're going to do this seed damage, but it's going to end up crushing your head. So, Satan wanted to make sure that he got his healing part done. Right now, he wants to put a he wants to put a stop to this, and if he can't do it physically, he wants to do it with thought, with ideas, with uh, uh, images of of uh, falsehood, and just simply prolificate the world with anything that's false about the Messiah, including thinking about the kingdom, thinking about uh, the Messiah what kind of a Messiah and uh, he would be, over what kind of a kingdom he would reign over. And some of those things that were instilled then are still prevalent today. And it's all, it's all the result of, of the ideology that was established by Satan in those early days uh, around this event. Any questions? Okay, quick summary. We have a woman, which is Judith. Prophetically, she's going to give birth to the child. The child then uh, is, is to become the Redeemer, but there's going to be opposition, strong opposition, and Satan appears in heaven as the opposing force, as the destroyer, filling the world with every brand of lies possible to deceive and bring people away from God's dream of the Messiah as Christ the healer through truth. And we'll talk more about that next Thursday night, God permitting. Thanks all of you for being in tune tonight. Think about these things, and I think you can see that it's, I, hopefully anyway that you can see where it is in line with uh, the scriptures. Father, we are thankful that folks care enough to pay attention and to listen and to try to come to their own rational thinking about these matters, that we might have an understanding of what it was that the early, early times of Christendom 
what were involved and that the prophecies were going to be fulfilled and we're seeing that take place in this book. Father, we are thrilled to see that your word was made sure and that it has been forever settled in heaven. Thank you, Lord, tonight for each person and for each, um, uh, each act that we perform to bring Christ glory and honor. In his name we pray, amen.